This podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. For more information, go to pokecastersnetwork.com. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode has two segments. In the first, Anthropocene Podcast drops by to help me discuss the music of the initial X and Y Pokemon movie, Diancy and the Cocoon of Destruction. Scandal's Daybreak Meteor Shower gets compared to Danny Marcus's Open My Eyes, as do the opening themes and scores from each version. For our thoughts on the movie itself, be sure to listen after the outro. The second segment is an archival interview with John Leffler. In this follow-up to an earlier discussion, we talk about his role working on music for the first two Pokemon movies, including both the pop soundtracks and the scores. You'll find out the genesis of Brother My Brother, and how the music for these films came together overall. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Anne from Peaky Podcast. And we're resuming our regular schedule of discussions uh, with discussion of the music of Pokemon the Movie, Diancy, and the Cocoon of Destruction. Of course, this is the first of the three XY movies. Uh, we already technically discussed the third one, the Magirna movie, a few years ago. So for those of you who don't remember exactly what the plot of the Diancy movie is, Diancy is this... Uh, I believe the term is mythical. I believe it's a Pokemon you don't encounter in the normal gameplay. So Diancy is sort of on a quest to sort of learn how to correctly produce diamonds is kind of the best way I can put that. But basically, she just led a very sheltered life with the Carbink in sort of her, her community that she is the princess of. And uh, so she has to kind of go out into the uh, real world uh, to track down, I believe, Xerneas uh, to learn some skills that she needs to learn. And uh, along the way, of course, she meets, uh, you know, Ash, uh, Serena, Bonnie, and let's see, Clement, as well as a few other characters in the movie. Uh, I believe I first saw this movie on television. I also have the DVD of it, and I rewatched that today. And how did you uh, come across this movie? Um, I have a, a lovely on-demand type cable service, so I, I rented it off of that. And yeah, I, I, it's the one movie I have not seen in Japanese at all, but I really quite enjoyed it. Like, huh. it was just a fun day at home with my popcorn. That was how you saw it today. Is it, I, I assume you saw it sometime before today, right? That was, yeah, also how I saw it then. It, it's one I've never acquired a DVD of or, like I said, been able to watch in Japanese. So Yeah, kind of interesting there. But in any case, yeah, we have uh, our usual format here. We're going to be talking about the ending themes primarily, and in that case, these are Daybreak Meteor Shower by the Japanese group Scandal and Open My Eyes by Danny Marcus on the English side. So uh, I did re-listen to uh, these songs and re-watch the movie today, so I think we're going to have a pretty good discussion. And uh, let's just go straight to the first part there. Who exactly is Scandal? Okay, uh, so Skandaru was started in 2006 by four high school girls, uh, Haruna Ono, Mami Sasazaki, Tomomi Ogawa, and Rina Suzuki. Um, 
like I said, four girls in high school. They all met through a vocal and dance school, and they made a band and just started performing on the street and around Osaka Castle Park, and eventually started getting gig offers from local clubs and just kind of kept going up from there, signing with a, an indie record label. And 2008 was their breakout year, just two years after, really quite fast rise to fame there. But they released on a major label with the single Doll, and they got to perform on the popular uh, show Music Station and perform overseas in the U.S. and France and other countries around Asia. And by 2012, they were performing at the Budokan, which is like the venue that proves you've made it. Um, and they are still active and going strong in the, in the music industry today. Um, and just this year started up their own independent record label called Her and have started releasing their music through it as of March. And so far, the band has released eight studio albums, the most recent being in 2018 with Honey. Um, and they're kind of an interesting band because all... All four of the girls have provided lead vocals on on some of their tracks, and they all sing live in the concerts. Um, they all play guitar on stage. But generally, the roles break down with Haruna singing the lead, uh, Mami's on guitar, Tomomi is on bass, and Rina is on either the drums or the keyboard. Tomomi is also the writer or co-writer on most of the band's songs, and including the one that we'll discuss today, a Daybreak Meteor Shower. And when she's not performing with Scandal, she's also the bassist for the Domoto Brothers Band, uh, which is the house band on the popular variety show Shin Domoto Kyodai, if anyone watches Japanese TV and knows that. That was a surprise to me. Um, this group is one that the listeners outside of Japan may know because they've gotten a lot of anime tie-ins and it's allowed them to perform overseas at conventions a lot and um, at a lot of Japan expos and the like. And they've gotten to build a really big international fan base along with their domestic fan base as well. So it's kind of helped them in their rise to fame that they've kind of gotten fans from all corners of the earth. Any idea how they came to be uh, selected for this project? Probably it's our usual, you know, out-of-house contract, but there's an interesting thing about this band is that these girls really love uh, Japanese animation and manga and pop culture, and like they, they're kind of the group that wants to have the anime tie-ins, and they actively look for projects like this. And they made themselves into an anime at one point. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was a little bit reversed in that their agent was banging down Pokemon's door for a chance to do a theme song. Uh, but we really don't know for sure. But they were they were very excited about the chance to be involved with Pokemon. You did mention that one of the band members did work on Daybreak Meteor Shower, but uh, I'm guessing there were some other folks involved. Can you sort of run that down? Yeah, uh, the lyrics were co-written by Tomomi um, of the band Scandal, as well as a, a gentleman named Hidenori Tanaka. Um, unfortunately, I don't have a ton of information on him because I uh, mixed him up with uh, Hidekazu Tanaka, who works for the Pokemon Company. Uh, but this gentleman is uh, a Japanese lyricist. Um, he's worked on, he works for Universal Records and has worked on a lot of anime, you know, Mobile Suit Gundam and the like, but also Pokemon the movie, Genesect, and The Legend Awakened. So that might be another way that the girls of Scandal got to do this theme was, you know, he worked on the one movie and he knows agency who knows the band and, you know, it's all who you know in this business. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I could see someone getting those two confused, though, and uh, Hirokazu and... Uh... I'm so sorry, everyone. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> 
All right. Well, it, was this song actually written for the movie? Do you know that at least? I do not know that. Again, with these, with the Japanese side, how they're often contracted out of house, um, it, it's sometimes hard to tell. This one, though, has some very specific callbacks to the movie that is unusual for the Japanese ending theme. But that'll be something we can talk about when we get to the lyrics. Okay, well, if we head over to the English side of production, Danny Marcus, I was able to look up her website, dannymarcus.net. Uh, I never got to interview her back in the day, but uh, she's done. Um, she's one of those folks who, kind of like Haven Pichal, has done work on both the musical and the voice acting side of Pokemon. Apparently, she started in music from an early age. Uh, her, her website talks about an audition she gave uh, a ways back. She was going to give a cover of You Are My Sunshine. She had two different renditions she was thinking of, and, and uh, she decided just to give both. Um, she credits a lot of her work to a man by the name of John Call, who she met when she was in high school. Gave her a lot of advice about acting, uh, voice, dance, and uh, uh, things like uh, that. She also went to Emerson College in Boston, and she also had uh, a role as Snow White in uh, Beach Blanket Babylon, which apparently, I guess, is some sort of stage show I'm not terribly familiar with. But she eventually made her way out to New York City, and I'm guessing that landed her with either the uh, the, the Pokemon production, either in terms of uh, voice acting and stuff. She's actually done a few characters in, in the uh, animated series and some shorts or stuff like that. Um, and she's still active today, uh, and unfortunately, I don't have too much else to say. You can look on her website, and she has a, a resume with a lot of her credits, including some of her Pokemon ones. Uh, she also does the ending theme song for the next movie, the Hoopa movie, as well as the short from this movie, the uh, Pikachu What's This Key For short. I can only assume that that's sort of what led her into the orbit of doing music for this one. I'm not sure exactly which order it went in or anything like that, but uh, you can definitely tell how, at least on some level, she got involved with this. This was not her only thing she did with Pokemon. It's cool. So let's talk about the songs themselves. Uh, Daybreak Meteor Shower, you talked about how the uh, the, the members of the group... Uh, you know, they play their own guitars, which is pretty neat. And you can definitely hear those in here. How would you kind of describe <laughs> the uh, the Daybreak Meteor Shower sonically, Anne? Um, well, it's definitely a rock. They're definitely a rock group. Um, maybe more of a light rock or sort of pop rock sound. Um, it's definitely not like your heavy metal stuff. But yeah, they they bring a bit of of edge and drive to it that we've not had so much in some of our past Japanese ending themes. Like, it's just, it sounds like an indie garage band, which is kind of what they've always been. Would you say it compares on a sound level, maybe a little bit to Puffy Amiyumi from Movie 8? Ooh, maybe a little, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's um, a similarity between the vocals whenever Mami or, or basically anyone who's not Haruno is singing the lyrics because Haruno has that slightly deeper voice and, and more resonant, whereas the others have that very kind of nasal J-pop style going on. Um, so yeah, they can actually yeah have a lot of similarities to Puffy Amiyumi, now that you bring it up. Well, music goes in cycles, um, so that's not a complete surprise. Yeah. I, I, they might well list them as influences as well, so keep that kind of thing in mind. Possibly, possibly. Okay, well, let's kind of talk about the lyrics. I did look up a translation of this um, online, uh, but uh, Anne... Can you sort of give us the overall arc of this song lyrically? 
Yeah, so um, this song is kind of about being in darkness and kind of trying to have hope for the coming future, for the light to come back. Um, and the idea that it is inevitable that things will die, that you will lose things, um, but we still make wishes on stars and we still hope for the dawn to rise the next day and for our wishes to come true. And the fact that we lose things is almost a, an assurance that, you know, that if we believe these miracles will happen and they will come back. So in that way, it very strongly ties to that, that scene with Xerneas at the end, spoilers, where, where, you know, life comes back and it, it goes to sleep and says, this isn't something to, to mourn. This is a prom, my going away is a promise that the life will come back. Um, and that song kind of channels that entire message. Like everything is about knowing that we have to, friends have to separate, knowing that it's really dark right now and I'm scared. There's a storm. I, I'm trying not to cry, but knowing that as long as we keep wishing on the stars, as long as we keep the bonds of our hearts strong, as long as we keep believing that the sun will rise and, and the, the wishes will come true and like sparkling diamonds in our hearts, change will happen. Yeah, yeah, I did kind of catch from the translation. First of all, you referenced a diamond there, which, yeah, I'm, I think this is that's one of the things that made you suspect that maybe this was written or tweaked for for the movie. But yeah, I, I did kind of catch this song was about um, uh, two people mm -hmm. meeting and parting and and things of that nature. Um, I think I also caught something about what colors changing or something like that, which I guess is probably more a thing to seasons, but. Don't we actually see that in the movie with uh, when Yvettel goes uh, kind of berserk and starts draining the life out of everything? Yeah, and and then they change again when Xerneas brings it all back and walking the unknown road home and um, taking the things out of your pocket and being unable to. Yeah, there, there's a lot of like little subtle things and... Um, I believe the English version as well does this, but um, playing under the end credit animation, like when Deonce starts crying and, and saying goodbye, like that's exactly when the song has lines about like, I promise not to cry. Um, and, and even if I lose this, I won't lose this feeling, all those sorts of things, which was a very nice touch, I thought. Like it, it didn't just um, channel some movie themes and even movie specifics, but the animation of what was going on behind the song. So that, again, I, I feel like there was a lot more effort to make this song fit than some of the past songs, or it could have been all coincidence. That has happened. <laughs> that has happened before. Well, yeah, I can certainly name a few examples. <laughs> but uh, and I think there's also a reference to, to use of the word pocket in the, uh, the yeah. lyrics there. So. Yeah, it's hard to say exactly. Unfortunately, we don't get uh, too many great detailed interviews on the writing process as to whether the song was either written or tweaked or stuff like that for, for the Pokemon movie. Um, mm -hmm. You seem to talk a lot about Diancie and to a lesser extent about Xerneas. Any other characters you think might be referenced in the lyrics there? Definitely Diancie and Xerneas. I think, as you brought up, Yveltal has... A bit of a lesser presence, but some possible references in this song. And, and as always, Ash and the people he meets. Like, I definitely feel there's a sense of, like, someone being inspired by somebody. And Ash is a lot of that to Deancey in this movie, is the, the person who, you know, because he is there, kind of gave her courage, etc., etc. And he is that for all his friends in the XY generation. So I, I think many... 
many characters in Pokemon could relate metaphorically to this, but I think Deancey is the most obvious. I think we got some good stuff there. Let's head back over to the English side. So let's see. Tonally, this is very, well, not not completely different, but definitely at the start it is much softer than Daybreak Meteor Shower. Um, there are some guitars that come in later. It sort of yeah. opens up as it goes on, uh, which I guess is appropriate for the title. Would you kind of agree with that, Anne? I would. I really like um, that kind of soft, almost delicate opening to it that gets a bit more drive a little bit in. It, it kind of does feel that the character is developing along with the song. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, I, I do like songs that have dynamics like that, that can do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. As far as the lyrics, you know, we talked about it there, but uh, I, I think it's from this perspective of Diancy pretty clearly there. And it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it seems to describe someone who's going from uh, somewhat of a, uh, a sheltered life. Uh, Diancy is a princess and uh, sort of has this task to complete and sort of learns a lot about the world uh, outside of uh, her, her sort of more limited or more narrow uh, life that she's had beforehand. One of the lines that really sticks out to me is eyes on prizes. Besides just being a, a little bit of neat wordplay there, um, you know, I, I that kind of reflect her character. At the beginning of the movie, she doesn't seem to really be taking things all that seriously. And sort of over the course of it, she kind of understands more about the broader picture, about what's going on and stuff like that. Is that sort of the the arc uh, with the lyrics that you kind of got, Anne? I, I think we got the same arc. It was a different set of lyrics that stuck out to me, but I think we arrived at the same place. I kind of love, um, I want to thank you for opening my eyes, helping me realize just why we are here. Because there's a scene in the movie where Deancey kind of realizes like, oh, like what the job of being a princess actually is. And she's kind of been neglecting it. She she wasn't really aware of the struggles of her own people. I kind of think we, we arrive at the same place, it, just with different lyrics of her kind of, you know, seeing the bigger picture of the world and becoming stronger and and yeah, leaving fears behind. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with your sentiment there as well. Like I said, this was another one of those ones where the lyrics weren't, uh, I didn't have them as well memorized as maybe I would like, but uh, definitely some good stuff. I think I like it actually, just to get into this, sort of lead into part three, I suppose, the compare and contrast part. I think I like this song a bit more than when I originally heard it. Um, I did kind of want to talk about sort of the later portions after the gu- guitars have really come in. You, you mentioned during the – when we were talking about Daybreak Meteor Shower, there were some parts that seemed to be kind of synced up with the credits. I suppose one thing that kind of works and, and kind of doesn't is – for me is that there are some uh, – like we get to see in the credits, we get to see a bunch of mega evolutions that appear on screen briefly. And there are some little like grace notes in the end theme song that sort of – are supposed to tie in there. Uh, did you notice that? And if so, any thoughts? I, I didn't notice that. I noticed it heavily kind of at the beginning, like, again, crying tears and, you know, chasing down new horizons and everything, but and searching the corners of the skies. But yeah, no, I did not catch those little grace notes, but I will go back and listen to it because that sounds like a really cool touch. It sort of is, and it sort of isn't. Uh, one thing we forgot to mention earlier <laughs> is actually that the movies of the X and Y generation, all the songs from those movies and shorts pretty much 
are available on a collection that was released in late 2017 called like the the Pokemon Movies Music Collection. Kind of a generic name, but it was released at the end of 2017. And, you know, those notes are still there. It's kind of a a bit awkward just because I'm, I'm guessing they had to go from like the uh, the source files on the movie rather than creating something that was specifically designed to be on an album. But I do appreciate it being uh. out. And I think at that point, as you can't actually, they don't quite line up into the song maybe as well as I would like as oh. they do with the, the with the end credit visuals. And that's kind of why I wanted to mention them. Like I said, they don't ruin the song or anything like that. That would be that would be silly to say, but they do seem a little out of place without the visual context. And I kind of wanted to mention that. That's kind of cool. Like, I, yeah, I'll definitely have to go back and compare and contrast that. Originally written for the 2000 Olympics, the extra mile predictably includes a large number of sports-related phrases, including references to races, archery, and recognition for one's personal feats. While Sydney wasn't in the cards for this song, it did manage to find a home on the Pokemon 2000 soundtrack, and it's easy to see why. In addition to the events of the movie drawing a large amount of attention, Ash is required to traverse rocky terrain, put his faith in a pair of wings, and perform other feats in order to fulfill his role. You could even consider the shrine where the ritual takes place to be a podium of sorts, or the artifact where the stones are put to be some sort of trophy case. The song doesn't solely focus on the hero, though, as during the second verse, assuming I'm interpreting it correctly, the lyrics acknowledge the contributions of others that allowed the leader to achieve their goals. In the original use case, that was probably coaches, teammates, and family members, but in the movie, you could certainly apply it to Ash's Pokemon and traveling companions. No chosen one does it alone, after all. Anyway, if you'd like to know more about this song, I have an interview with co-writer Pam Shane linked in the episode description. Thanks. Well, speaking of comparing and contrasting, I think we, we've gotten uh, what we can out of the English side as well. Let's sort of put these against each other. And uh, kind of maybe decide which each one does better and uh, which one we might like better. Daybreak Meteor Shower is definitely more consistently energetic, and it does have some lines that sort of mess with the movie in, in various ways. But I think part of me really prefers Open My Eyes, maybe not so much as... a song, but these these things these songs do different things, and that's always... Uh, and when they when they both do them reasonably well, those are some of the hardest ones I think we have to come to a decision on these. Um, and mm-hmm. you get sort of a similar uh, vibe from this one? Similar-ish, yeah. Like, on the one hand, um, with Open My Eyes, I can very much see um, the evolution of Deontay's character in this song, which is kind of what you want an end theme to do. Like, you know, you relate back to the characters. But the Scandal song... I think, first of all, while they're very similar, it is slightly more to my taste, uh, just musically. And like, I really, I really do quite like this band and I like the girls' voices. And then also, like, just the way they present their themes, though they are, again, kind of similar, that, that, that sense of progression and everything. Because they tie back to that one moment in the movie and that sentiment that Xerneas was trying to convey about life and rebirth and all those things. And that's really like the one theme in the movie that really came out strong. Um, 
many of the Pokemon movies before this we kind of mentioned were about one similar theme and they kind of hammered that theme home. This one was a bit more plot driven. It's really more about Deancey than a concept. Um, but if there is a moral or whatever, then or a meaning to this movie. It's all in that scene with Xerneas going to sleep and bringing back the life. And this movie kind of encompasses that theme and ties it back to the more minor aspects of the movie. And we kind of see what they're trying to portray. I I have some feelings about how this movie uh, is structured. Uh, But I, I do feel the song kind of brings home the emotional truth of the movie for me in a very strong way and it's very emotionally meaningful to me so i i would give it to scandal but i again the open my eyes is a very good ending song if this were a disney movie this would be that the disney princess single people always debate well gee is uh princess leia a disney princess now i guess if this this were a disney movie um that would be an interesting question there as well but um, <laughs> I, I think I am going to give a slight nod to Open My Eyes. I do like both of these songs. I don't know that I would put either of them at the near the very top of the movie ending themes list on, on either side. But um, I think Open My Eyes is the one I, I seek out more. Um, and maybe that's just because my Japanese is pretty weak. Yeah, I think musical taste might be where this one divides. <laughs> there are things I like musically about both of them, I will tell you that. Um, but yeah, I think I think I give a slight edge to open my eyes, but as we often find out, both of these songs have value. Mm-hmm. All right, well, plenty of other music to talk about here. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the movie, pretty much. Let's talk about the opening themes. Now, they do both use a variant of the opening theme for that season of the anime, but these kind of produce rather different results. Um, On the Japanese side, we have probably the shortest Pokemon song name ever. Uh, It's V, or in this case, Mega V, I guess is the movie version. Um, Three whole characters. (laughs) And uh, I believe it's, what, Yusuke? Is is that I get that about right, or? yeah. I did re-listen to both both versions of this the song. It's got some interesting, I guess, verbal gymnastics, like towards the beginning and towards the end. I'm not really sure how to describe them. Did that sort of stick out to you as well? Yes. Well, I love this song for that reason. And the only complaint I have about Mega V, because it's kind of got a more choppy synthesized vocal vibe to it is that because it is all broken up it is so much harder to sing as karaoke whereas the just the v version that plays um with the series you can you can attempt to to sing that (laughs) it it takes a lot of practice but it's basically listing all the various types of pokemon and it's so fun to try and sing along (laughs) i never succeed I see. Yeah, like I said, they're definitely different. I'm not really sure how to characterize them. Maybe the the movie version Mega V is more bass heavy, but not sure what else I can say about it. I did really, though, want to say something about the English side, because you may remember for the first season of X and Y, Ben Dixon and the Sad Truth, uh, a band we've come to to learn much more about as time has gone on, uh, at least in terms of their musical uh, stylings, um, does a uh, the, the a new version of the Pokemon theme? You know, they take the original English opening theme and they do a 
you know, it's it's different than say what they did for I Choose You, which is much closer to the original version. This one has a bit of a different beat to it. I'm not sure really how to to describe it beyond that, but if you listen to both versions, you will say that the instrumentation is a bit different and stuff like that. And did you have any particular thoughts? Yes, no, I agree completely. Like I remember when we were talking about I Choose You, like that was my complaint that that re, you know, the cover of the Pokemon theme they did was so alike the original that was like, what was the point? This is a very clear difference. This is, you know, the kind of new change and experiment I wanted to hear. And when it kind of got to that bridge where it just got real soft and kind of like there were, what were there, bells or something in there for a while? Like, oh gosh, like I loved the change of dynamics in this song. Yeah, I think there's more of a, I don't know if this is the right word, but rolling vibe to this version oh. that's used in this movie as opposed to the I Choose You version, which, like I said, is is also performed by Ben Dixon in The Sad Truth in that version as well, but uses an arrangement much closer to the original. Uh, I think at some point we're going to have to do a, a, a special episode where we compare. I, I did count before we did this. There are, I think, at least nine official versions of the English Pokemon theme uh, distinct arrangements slash tracks out there, and I think we might have to do a decide which one we like best for that at some point in the in the oh, future. Oh my goodness! <laughs> but yeah, it is. It does take a few more liberties than say the um, than the the I Choose You version, and, and it'll be interesting to see what they're going to do with the the English version of Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution. If they're going to go with something, oh, yeah. if they're going to just use the original you know, Billy Crawford version or do a, a sort of a take on that or, or something of that nature. So that'll be interesting to, to see where it goes from here. Yeah. I guess we got to also talk about uh, the score elements of this one. And we mentioned Ben Dixon and Sad Truth. This is the first of the Ed Goldfarb era of Pokemon movies. And uh, they did something that is definitely controversial to a number of folks in that uh, a number of the Japanese score elements were replaced. Now, they did keep a few of them, like Welcome to the World of Pokemon is in there. Clement's uh, Future is Now, Thanks to Science, is uh, that theme is in there, and a couple others. Uh, but a lot of it gets replaced, and... I don't know, I, I can understand why some folks would be bothered by that. I'm not sure that they the two things totally mesh well, and this being... You know, Ed's first time around doing a full-on Pokemon movie and doing a score for that. Maybe he wasn't quite settled in, in things, even though he'd been working on the main series for a while. Um, I feel like I should have a bit more to say here. Um, I did listen to some of the, the Japanese score, but Anne, um, do you have some initial thoughts to give there? Well, I tried to listen to some of the Japanese score as well, just to be able to have some contrasting thoughts. Um I would have to say of Shinji Miyazaki's uh, movie scores, they have not sounded too terribly different from each other to my ear, you know, with the exception of maybe Arasion. Uh But this is one that I felt, while not being too terribly unique, does fit the movie itself. Like, I never listened to, I never found a track in there that I listened to and was like, this shouldn't be in this movie, which is thoughts I've had about some of his other music, where it's like, this could be in any Pokemon movie. And it wouldn't matter. There were a few tracks here that I listened to that had a, the feeling of crystallization or delicacy, princessy type things. And he, I, I felt like he used a lot more harp in this score than normal. But overall, I, I think Ed Goldfarb, you know, 
if the, you know if this is a continuation that he's going to be doing more and more scores i mean obviously we can see the future and we know how it turns out but like if this was all i knew of him i would i would give him another movie like i i liked a lot of the tracks that i heard in this score um some of them were just that little bit unique and fresh compared to some of the things we've heard in the past by other people and and again i just kind of got from the score and Deontay's theme in English, like just this vibe of Pokemon made a Disney movie or something. I, again, that's just a flavor of musicality that we've not heard so much, I think. Well, I would definitely say it's a little bit closer to sort of the, the first couple movies and uh, the Ralph Shuckett's work on there. It is kind of its own thing as well. Um, I think one of the things that was a little, a little difficult for me was, um, I'm not sure. I think this disc, the DVD I watched it on today, may have some sort of a uh, a mastering issue in that, like, I think maybe I use that term incorrectly. But um, I, I had a lot of cases where I didn't think, like, the, the, the dialogue volume level varied more than it kind of should have, and I had to turn the volume. It probably didn't help when I had my air conditioner on as well, and that's also in the living room of my apartment. But uh, I think that might have tainted isn't quite the right word, uh, but it might have skewed things a little bit in my mind um but uh, i didn't think the 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 replacement score was bad did listen to some of the japanese score felt maybe it was a little bit better and a little more tied to the movie than some other uh recent and future uh shinji miyazaki scores the one i really wanted to call out though i i think this plays during the the scene where team rocket is sort of conning uh diancy into making diamonds for them and I forget what exactly the track is called, but it's got like uh, some saxophone stuff, I think. And I kind of would have actually liked to have more of that type of sound sprinkled throughout the movie. Uh-huh. And I think uh, it, that might have made the, the Japanese side of the score a little stronger for me. But again, I haven't actually seen the movie with the Japanese score, so I'm not sure I can give a complete opinion on that. This is definitely something we'll look up. Um, we did talk a little bit about with, I think, the... The Magirna and I Choose You movies. We'll see where things go after, say, this next one. Um, they may go back to replacing the score. We'll see uh, exactly what happens. Um, but I did want to kind of call it out. If you have opinions, go ahead and, and put those in the chat or in the comments or send us an email. We always like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think there's one more musical aspect that I think we should we should probably talk about here. There is a short associated with this movie. Uh, now, of course, the, the English shorts, those kind of rotate through – but it's a uh, Pikachu. What's this key for? As I believe what it's called. It is on the like the score album from Japan. They have that stuff. Although I believe that stuff is also uh, replaced in in the short version. Not sure. I, I have a ton to say there. But there's an ending song also by um, let's see uh, by Danny Marcus. I think it's called something like what the, the key to me. I did listen to it today, but it's kind of kind of kind of fallen out of my memory there. And did you have any thoughts? I did listen to it, and I kind of felt it reminded me a lot of, like, M2M and kind of that pop vibe. And and like uh, Open My Eyes, it kind of has a similar, like, delicacy in the beginning, and then the beat comes in, and then gu- the guitar comes in. And it kind of feels like it changes directions in that simple way, you know, every couple of stanzas, which, if you've seen the Pikachu short in question, like... They're basically the world between worlds in Narnia. Like they're just going. Each key takes them to another dimension or another another location. So I kind of thought that was an interesting aspect of the song. 
to, you know, have just different flavors every now and then, just like, you know, they saw different locations. Yeah, I do remember the short a little bit, and then that was sort of the gist of it. It uh, where they would yeah. <laughs> sort of abruptly move uh, uh, with with a plot device to to um, explain why, but they would move from one setting to another, trying to find or get to somewhere. I forget exactly where, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely the 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 younger focus side of it. Uh, and do you know what they might have done on the on the Japanese side for that one? Um, I tried to look up the score because there is um, some tracks listed, Pikachu, What's This Key For? I found an instrumental of that, so I'm not sure if there ever were lyrics. I am, I imagine there were, but I, it looks – I've only ever found that instrumental. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of little themes, like a theme for Klefki and a theme for Dedene and, and Tyrant and the like. Um, so – Peace Smile was another song um, that did get um, lyrics for. I didn't get a chance to listen to that one again, um, but there is a movie version of that. It is, um, it's just one of the Japanese songs that was used for an ending theme, um, I believe after XY29, and they used that. So it could be that Pikachu What This Key For was always an instrumental, and this was the the lyrics song in the video. But I never got to see the whole thing recently, in recent memory, to give a whole ton of opinion about it. I mean, the, the instrumental was nice, but I don't have a lot to say about it. That's okay. As far as Peace Smile goes, uh, that was uh, actually written by Hirokazu Tanaka, the person who, who regularly works on Pokemon. Yeah. It, it does remind me uh, tonally of a lot of his work on like the first one or two generations of the um, of the anime in various capacities. There, uh, there's definitely a, a similar vibe there. Um, when they say peace smile, they do actually say that in English in the in the song there. So that's that's kind of I guess what they're trying to convey there. It maybe doesn't come over quite as well as you would like, but yeah, when when you smile in Japan, it's typical to make the peace sign. And like when you're taking a photo or the like. So to me, those two words kind of go together like, oh, peace smile. You're really happy. Nico, Nico. But yeah, literally to a native English speaker, it, it might not have quite the same weight behind the words. We, we use those words slightly differently. Yeah, it might sound as if, well, as opposed to what? Some other smile? But um... I, I don't know. <laughs> but But yeah, like, yeah, we say smile, say cheese, not smile, say peace. So... Like little things like that might make a difference. So I think that's most of what we have to say about the Diancy movie musically. Uh, our next discussion is going to be, of course, the Hoopa movie, Hoopa and the Clash of Ages. So we've got uh, another matchup there. Let's see. On the English side, we have Danny Marcus once again with Every Side of Me. And then the Japanese side, you know, I cannot remember the name of the artist, but I know the, the Japanese song is called Tweedia. It's actually written all out in English, which posed some problems for me in getting some unwanted traffic on my unboxing video. But Anna, who's, who's the artist there? It is Rachel Rhodes, um, who is also known as Rie Yasuda. Ah, okay. I was thinking, you gave me an English. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. This is someone who has a, yeah. a bit of a performing name. So I think we'll have some interesting stuff to discuss there. But until then, Anne, thank you very much for coming on and uh, filling us in on some things. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been Stephen Reich. All right, folks. Thanks.
Hello everyone, this is Matt Collins, president of the Pokecasters Network. I hope you are all well. I'm sending this message out there for everyone to talk about some of the amazing upcoming events we have. We are teaming up with Children's Miracle Network, Extra Life Pittsburgh, and the Pittsburgh Children's Hospital Foundation. We have two upcoming tournaments and an online raffle. We have our first event, an official TCG tournament with all proceeds going to help sick children in Pittsburgh on Saturday, October 6th. The event will include not only typical prizes found at a League Cup, but a plethora of donated Pokemon merchandise as prizing as well. We are excited to team up with New Dimension Comics in Pittsburgh on this event. The second event is an online tournament hosted by Mount Silver VGC. On Saturday, October 19th, we are hosting an online tournament with the special Ultra Moon format starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. We will also be holding an online raffle that day with over $300 worth of prizes. We have streamers all day prior to the event as well as helping raise money so we can do something amazing together and make an impact helping sick children. For details on this event, help with team building, and more information on how you can help, please check out the Extra Life website, extralife.org slash participant slash Network, or find us on Twitter or our website for details. Thank you again, everyone, for all of the support. Hi, I'm Stephen Reich here at the PokePress PRM Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm on the phone with John Leffler of Rave Music, here with another in our series of interviews about the history of Pokemon music. So this time we're going to talk about the soundtracks, both the uh, little bit of the pop and some of the score to the first two Pokemon movies, Pokemon the first movie and Pokemon the movie 2000. So first off, we were going to start off with the Pokemon the first movie pop soundtrack. Now, John, why don't you explain... What's the sort of the music business process? This is a various artist soundtrack that has a bunch of different artists on it. Many of the songs were recorded in some cases a long time before the movies. How are these things kind of put together? Sure. Anyway, Stephen, first of all, it's it's great to talk to you again, and I love reminiscing and talking about these these various Pokemon albums and the films because it's one of the highlights of my career, no question about it. I love working on them, and it was a very exciting time in my life. So I, I'm grateful for this opportunity to, to reminisce a little bit. The way these 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 uh, pop soundtracks are usually put together is the distributor of the film, in this case Warner Brothers, almost always has a relationship with a record label, and and Warner's had several labels, one of which was Atlantic, which became the lead record label for putting together the pop soundtrack. So then they looking at Pokemon and the, various, and, the, and the appropriate demographic for Pokemon, they decided that they would focus a lot on young pop artists with a leaning, when possible, towards boy band types, though there was a, a large variety. But young, uh, older teenagers and young adults were, were the primary market. And so they went into their roster, and, and especially if they were new artists, and to what, how can we leverage the publicity of, of Pokemon and the, all the attention this film is going to get to help advance the careers of these young artists? So that's pretty much the goal. So then they start pulling together bands and put together a probably a list of 20-some songs, more than on the album, and then working with Norman Grossfeld and, and Four Kids Productions with a, with a little bit of a nod to myself, who was the music director as well as a co-composer of the score, and we'd go from there. But it was, it was in many ways a business decision about what, which bands could use and would benefit from the promotion of being associated with Pokemon. 
Hmm. And uh, there was one song in particular that you did work on. You actually wrote it and uh, actually got to meet the band. It's Brother My Brother, the last track on the album that plays during the uh, the scene where Ash is looking over the Pokemon battling, um, and, and it plays out there. So first of all, what was the process of writing that song? All right. And that's one of my favorite songs. We were doing the score, and and the score being the big orchestral score, which is the background, which supports the drama of the, of the whole film. And Ralph Shuckett and I, uh, my collaborator on the score and the song, were working on it. And that moment came up and was so dramatic. Uh, I don't, I can't remember whether I turned to Ralph or he turned to me, but we said, we got to write a song for this, because this is like the most perfect moment. Now, all the other songs in the film, on the whole, are songs that have been gathered to kind of help create the soundtrack, but they weren't written specifically to the dramatic moment of the film. They didn't have the opportunity to look at the film. I doubt whether any of the of the other artists actually read the script. They just knew it was a Pokemon movie and there needed to be a variety of songs and sounds. In our case, that dramatic moment of looking down and seeing seeing the havoc that this war has created and this battle has created was such a plaintive cry. And Ralph and I decided to write this song like, Brother, my brother, what are you doing? What are you guys doing? Look, I mean, you know, what are you doing to the world? And that was the genesis of writing the song. And after we wrote the song, we recognized that to get the song in the film and get the support of the powers that be, that we needed to get a band or an artist that could have some weight that would sing it. Because my singing it just wasn't going wasn't gonna to make it in terms of marketing and PR power. So... Various managers that we knew, we asked around, and one of them recommended Blessed Union of Soul. They actually said that they liked it a lot, and they liked the idea of being associated with the movie. So Ralph and I actually flew out to Ohio, where they where they lived and where they had their recording studio, and worked with them to do a version of the song in their style with them co-producing it. And that's the song that ended up in the movie. That's pretty cool. Now, you mentioned the score briefly before, um, Ralph, and you worked on that. What are some of the, the motifs that you went for when you were making the score to the first movie? Well, this, is, this actually might be interesting to, to the listeners. Anime, which is the style of animation that the Pokemon movie is done in, is a pretty flat form of animation. And so the direction that we had all kind of concluded was necessary to make the movie come alive and be as dramatic as possible was, and I wish I got this type of assignment more nowadays, which is to use as big an orchestra as possible to make the music sound as grand and as big and as dramatic, a la John Williams, to take this flat animation and make it come, make it feel as dramatic as possible because Amazingly, even with a even with an anime style of animation, which is pretty flat, almost and two dimensional, when big orchestra comes in with timpanis and tubas and French horns and a big string section, you can still get tingles, even though the images on the screen might be pretty flat. So our first goal was to be as dramatic and as emotional as possible, and second was to give it a lot of weight. So that's why we were able to use a big orchestra. Were you actually there for any of the recording sessions? Of course, I mean, was I there? Of course, we were there. We did the score. I, I was, I was there. <laughs> in the studio, we did both of them in, in California, outside Los Angeles, and Ralph conducted the whole thing, and I was in the control booth. 
All right, and then go, moving on to the second movie, you know, the that was sort of the same process, but because the first movie had the uh, pop soundtrack had sold so well, when you got to the second movie, uh, there was a little bit more of a uh, an effort from uh, Atlantic to sort of. Uh, uh, go for certain artists, uh, wasn't there? Exactly. The first movie did so well, and the series at this point was was so successful that Atlantic was was willing. They were less hesitant to kind of pull out the star power, and you know that's why you get the benefit of of having uh, the power one, which you know with uh, Donna Summer singing the lead and David Foster producing it. I mean that's pretty much the A team for that song. And uh, but also because of the, the success of the first score, I was given some more flexibility. And if you look at the credits and the songs, there's at least three or four songs on there that myself and Ralph or myself and John Siegler, my other songwriting partner, were able to write and then find uh, various bands to sing the songs, interpret it in their style. But we were able to write the songs for the movie. And, and the score for the second movie is is pretty interesting as uh, as as well. Um, it's got I I would have to say if I get, gave it a word I'd say it has sort of more of a, a maritime feel. It feels like you're on the ocean even more than the the first one. Was that what you were going for when you uh, scored this? Yes, yes, actually very very good. I mean, Stephen, I'm very impressed. We we definitely were because there that again there's a lot of imagery of water and stuff like that, and we decided, and that was definitely part of what we were trying to accomplish. And were there any other memories of working on the music for the, the first couple movies that you wanted to share? Well, just imagine you get you get these movies and, and both of these films were first done in Japanese. So while they were being translated and while the storyline was being slightly altered or improved for American audiences and while the creators were working on that, I had a chance to spend a lot of time looking at the film. So these movies, I lived with these movies for months on end, working my way through slowly, from, from literally from the beginning to the end of the movie, coming up with various motifs, deciding whether these motifs really worked, then weaving those motifs through the film so that there's a continuity throughout the whole thing. So I love the experience. I love being able to just lock myself in a room with Ralph and sit there and watch the movie and talk about it and make notes and write something and listen back to it. And just, it's rare nowadays you can spend three months focusing on one project. And I love doing it. I love the results. I thought it was one of the very, very exciting thing to work on. And I'm envious of anybody who gets to work on movies specifically all the time because it's a great process. All right. Well, thank you very much, John. Uh, it's been great hearing these memories of the first couple movies. Thank you, Stephen. It's a joy talking to you and, and reminiscing. Like I said, it was a great period of my life, and I think I really love talking about it. I hope there's more movies to talk about in the future. <laughs> this has been Stephen Reich from the Pokey Press PRN Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, on phone with John Leffler of Rave Music, talking about the first two Pokemon movies' score and pop soundtracks. Thanks for listening to the Pokey Press Digest Podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. So, 
And sounds like you uh, I didn't hate this movie or anything, but it sounds like you really did get some some pretty interesting stuff, although it sounds like you also had some criticisms. Do you want to go ahead and, and get started here? <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, no, I really liked this movie. Like, I kind of came in expecting to have some criticisms just because of there there had been some media statements by the Pokemon company in relation to this movie that gave me an uncomfortable feeling going in. Like, I, I felt that they were a bit better than that. Um, but I actually ended up really liking this movie. And again, it kind of got away from that. Everything is wrapped around this one concept. It was a bit more plot driven, which was a nice change of pace. My main criticism is... Like, I feel like the ending, everything happened in the wrong order. Like, they gave us a Pikachu death, which is something they wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole for years. Like, they'll they'll kill Ash in a heartbeat, but, you know, nobody, nobody hurts Pikachu. And then they did it kind of after everyone's Dark Knight of the Soul, and after Deontay had figured out how to make diamonds, and after Xerneas was already bringing everything back to life. So it was just like, well, there's no stakes here. So I feel like they're... This movie had a bit of an emotional punch for me, and it could have had such a bigger one if they had just, like, restructured Act 3 a little bit. Like, I feel like one more pass at that script, and it would have been perfect. And that's, you know, kind of frustrating when you're so close and yet so far. Yeah, yeah, I'll kind of agree with you with that, that that did seem a little bit misplaced. It isn't like, well... It isn't like, you know, in Wrath of Khan where they, they escape the nebula <laughs> and then Kirk realizes that, you know, in order to do that, someone had to go down there and expose themselves to massive doses of radiation. Uh, and that person <laughs> ends up being Spock, of course. But uh, no, this isn't quite like that either. I'm not sure if that they were going for something like that. Uh, but it seems like, yeah, you're right. They either could have cut that and had pretty much the same ending or reordered stuff or resequenced stuff uh, yeah. a little bit. Like I said, I, I do want to ask a question you know we've talked about when we talked mm -hmm. about the power of us that ash is in that movie and he does serve a role but he's you know not as prominent as he is in some of the other ones part of me wonders if this movie might have been stronger at least to me if ash and you know clement and bonnie and serena's part were either written out or diminished significantly and we we're mostly dealing just with diancy and the thieves and uh, stuff like that. Right. Uh, any any thoughts along those lines? I I'm kind of of two minds because on the one hand, you're right, and we've often discussed that sometimes these movies work better when you're not constrained by all the Pokemon things you have to put in. Like, you know, Team Rocket has to be doing something. And, you know, at some point, Bonnie has to make the confession of love on behalf of her brother who's not interested. Um, and, you know, we have to hit all these extra beats from the series that really don't enrich the movie often. They, they You don't always have a purpose in the movie. Um so on the one hand, yeah, like writing them out like significantly could have streamlined a lot of things in this movie and made it be about, you know, the emo emotional message and the story because Deancey is the main character. It's, it's her journey. But at the same time, one of the reasons this movie worked for me is because they kind of channeled what it is about Ash that makes you want to have him in the movie. And I do like it when he can be, I don't even know how to explain it, but that guy, like, 
when he can just be himself and you see how the other characters achieve their emotional journey by interacting with him. So this is one movie where I thought you did need to have Ash in it. However, maybe not any of his friends. Well, uh, Serena and Bonnie maybe, but they could have been written down significantly. So I'm, I'm of two minds about it. It's another one of those one more pass at that script and it would have been, I think you could have made something really special. Yeah, that, those were kind of my thoughts uh, along the lines of, of the movie yeah. itself is sort of, I mean, the, the first movie of each generation usually does try to, to put in the, um, at least, you know, with the, with the, the Dark Rye movie and the whatchamacallit, oh, the, the Victini movie, I'm pretty sure they did that in both of them where they tried to put in the fully evolved starters just like they did in the first movie. And uh, that, that's mm. become kind of a tradition. And in this case, all of the thieves had them. And I thought, well, it might be kind of fun to learn more about them. Um, right. Yeah. All all three of the bad guy groups had clearly a lot going on in their backstories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of my thing there. Like I said, I don't think this was – I do think that maybe some of this does kind of foreshadow the uh, the idea of them having to sort of – Go a different way with the movies, as we'll see after after the um, after the uh, the X and Y movies. The the movies become very separate from the uh, the main uh, TV series, um, and yeah. I do think that some of the things they maybe went through with this one. Like I said, I don't think it's a terrible movie. It might be one of the better ones. It, it, I like it better than say the the Magirna movie, which you know it, it doesn't make me seethe with anger or anything. But it's definitely not one I, I seek to. <laughs> Go ahead again. But yeah, that was, those were kind of my thoughts about the, the film itself. 